and welcome to the Kenny Spare Story podcast, a place where we celebrate the success stories of individuals who have broken the cycle of homelessness and ended up on top. I'm your host, Sydney Grover, and together we can end the negative stigma attached to homelessness one story at a time. Let's meet tonight's guest. So today I am here with Renee Sutherland. We're here to talk about her experience with homelessness and her life story. So Renee, let's have you introduce yourself. Hi, um, my name's Renee Sutherland. I am 33 years old and I currently live in Phoenix, Arizona. Mm -hmm. I'm originally from Texas. Oh, awesome. And you know, you told me you shared with me a little bit about your family. So you have three children. You're currently, um, what do you do for a living? I currently work on an assertive community treatment crisis team at Maricopa Integrated Health Services. Um, I've been on an ACT team for coming up on three years now. Wow, that's so amazing that you get to do that every day. Um, So let's start at the beginning. What was your childhood like? Where'd you grow up? Well, uh, I was originally born in Corpus Christi, Texas. Um, That's actually where my mother is right now. Mm -hmm. Um, I only lived there for a couple of years until I moved to the country very very country (laughs) um and i lived there from age two to age 12. Um, then we moved back to corpus christi um i would say i had a little bit more of a difficult childhood there was a lot of things going on in the house that were um challenging Mm -hmm. um my dad was um struggling with certain things and um there was a lot of uh physical abuse um my mom did the best that she could to shelter me and my two sisters and um it took a little bit but um my mom she's a pretty phenomenal lady yeah and um she worked really hard to learn a trade Mm -hmm. in tile um and she's actually been doing it for i think 30 years and um, she is she's quite talented Um, and so she was able to move us back to Corpus after all of that and um, I went to middle school there high school and some college Um, and I mean I would say I I had typical struggles as a teenager Um, a lot of my problems were social problems Um, I didn't really understand social cues Mm -hmm. and making the right choices and I didn't have good self-esteem so I put myself in situations that were not good for me and um, it put me you know in a in a place where I learned things that were bad and I had drug problems I had alcohol abuse Um, I think the the biggest issue is the way I treated my mother Mm -hmm. I I treated her very, very badly, and I was very selfish. I acted like a child for a long, long time, mm-hmm. um, and I know that took a lot out on my mom. And you know, here where I'm at now, you know, being a mom and looking at the world differently and actually making the right choices, yeah. I, I, I do feel bad about the person that I was and the choices that I was making and the people that I hurt. Because I did. I hurt a lot of people. Yeah. Um, but I think that everything happened for a reason. Mm-hmm. And I'm happy that they happened the way they did. Because it literally 
turned me into the person I am today. And that's such an amazing way to look at it. I feel like so often we just think that the world is happening to us and we're not happening to the world. And we have such an amazing place here and our stories all impact the world. So um, what led you into homelessness? Well, um, so the first time I actually was ever homeless was when I was 19 years old. I was currently still living with my mom. I was attending college at Texas A&M University Corpus Christi, and our house burned down. Um, There was really no reason or understanding for it. That actually happened on March 8th of 2005. Uh, It was actually two days before my mother's 50th birthday, and um, I almost died in the fire. I was upstairs, and I the fire had been burning for quite some time and I didn't even know. Um, so again, it was a miracle that I was able to survive from that. Um, but I made it through, but of course me and my mother, we had no home. Um, we were very blessed because my mother did have renter's insurance. And, uh, but during that period, it was about three months, I believe where we had to live, um, in a, in a back room mm-hmm. um, with at my sister's house. It was very uncomfortable. Uh, I know it was really hard for my mom because she basically had lost everything that yeah. she had worked so hard for. And it that's actually what hurt me more than anything. It wasn't some of the stuff that I had lost. It was watching her hurt. Yeah. And all the while, I still was making poor choices with men that's that's honestly where a lot of my poor choices uh, were coming from. Whether it was because I wanted my father to love me yeah. and I never got that or, you know, whatever it was. But um, I just, I really had poor self-esteem. And because of that, I didn't understand positive attention or negative attention. I, I just was doing whatever it was to get some type of attention. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's what my mother always recognized about me is again not understanding the social cues and not understanding looking at both sides and always just being impulsive and running to you know whatever right at that moment I thought was going to to give me some type of satisfaction so uh that's what led me into a lot of trouble I um I mean I had my my runs in with the police Mm -hmm. and um again my mother had to deal with all of that too yeah even to this day, again, I'm so lucky that I did not get a felony um, because, again, I've I've done a lot of things um, that were not that great. Yeah. And um, I, get, I have to attest to the future that I'm planning and how many people I really want to help. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I, I wouldn't truly be able to do, I, I think, what I'm doing now and what I want to do in the future if I had gone down that road. Yeah. So um i you know my mother it was an amazing story she's actually still in the house that she was able to buy for the first time without my father wow. uh, she's been in that house um for now i think we're coming up on so it's 2005 so we're coming up on 15 years she's oh. been in that house that is so. a girl boss move i love that <laughs> i know it was very it was a very proud moment for yeah. my mom um so she you know she's she's done well for herself being where she's at and um I obviously wasn't ready yet yeah. um, because with all of that trauma that happened, I decided to move to San Antonio, mm-hmm. uh, continue college there, and uh, time time went by. Um, not a lot of tr- majorly tra- traumatic things happened um, until 
um, I met a particular person, mm-hmm. and uh, that was in February of 2011. Um, I can't necessarily tell you how this happened it's not like I was looking for it at all um but I was living in a not so great apartment complex and I met a gentleman he is the father of my three children Mm -hmm. and I was very infatuated by him I still had not crossed over of that self-esteem uh negative place that I was in and I became a person that he wanted me to be. Mm -hmm. And I didn't really realize how negatively it was impacting me and at some point affecting my family and everybody around me. Um, So you wouldn't have known this meeting this man that he was actually on crack cocaine, Mm -hmm. Uh, but he became closer to me and started trusting me and so the following month, which was March of 2011, he introduced it to me and I started using mm-hmm. crack cocaine. And I pretty much two weeks after that, I found that I was pregnant. Wow. With my now seven year old son. That is intense. Yes. I would say very bad timing. Yeah. Um, I never saw myself as a mother. I was very impulsive, very selfish, very irresponsible. Mm -hmm. And how could I ever take care of another human being when I couldn't even do it for myself? Yeah. So it was, uh, it was really heart wrenching because I am a very honest person. And I did tell my mother that I was pregnant and that I was smoking crack cocaine and it, it pretty much broke her soul. Yeah. Um, but I, I wouldn't let it go. I didn't care what anyone said to me. I I would not let the pregnancy go. And I continue on. And yes, I did make a lot of poor choices. And to this day, I have accepted the choices that I made. And I am a better person. So I do not beat myself up for the choices that I did make back then. Mm -hmm. Um, I did continue to use uh, crack cocaine when I was pregnant. And I had lots of different situations happen being pregnant there was a lot of uh i was evicted out of that apartment um we got into another apartment uh we were kicked out of that apartment as well all while i am pregnant and Mm -hmm. just my belly's growing and it's just getting worse and it's your first pregnancy so you don't even know what to expect not at all um i was again i was i was somewhat trying because i was still going to get prenatal care i was still trying to reach out for help Mm -hmm. and um, I I just didn't know how to let him go. I I didn't know how to let their dad go. Mm -hmm. Like that was my true addiction. It really, it really wasn't the drugs at all. Um, And then it just became worse. And I then started smoking methamphetamine and crack cocaine at the same time. And this was actually towards the end of my pregnancy. And so there was a lot of concern mm-hmm. um, amongst the doctors, and um, everybody was very afraid. But I, again, was extremely blessed. I, I can't explain it. It's a miracle. I think there's a lot of miracles in my life. Mm-hmm. And um, there, he had gone to jail many times, and I had reached out to my mother. Um, and this was about a month and a half before I gave birth to my son. And she was willing to help me, because all in the while, 
I, we were staying in crack houses. There was other things that were going on. It was it was really really sad. Yeah. Um, a lot of unfortunate things happened to me while I was out there. Um, it's definitely not a place to be as a pregnant woman in a in a crack house. It's not a safe environment. No, not at all. Um, you are very vulnerable, and especially since this is not something that you are you know aware of or you've been through before, and so you you are very vulnerable to the other people that are more used to it. Um, and so they prey upon you. Uh, so I had to go through that and I had to learn all those things. And then honestly, it's what taught me a lot about human beings. Mm -hmm. Um, I want to say the bad side of people. And, uh, again, my mother, she stepped in, she knew I was having the baby. So she tried to help out. She tried to get me an apartment and she did. Um, so the month that I gave birth to my son, which was actually January 4th, 2012, uh, a lot was going on at the hospital. Um, the NICO unit was in there. I mean, it was, it was pretty chaotic in there, but, um, he came out and he was perfect. Yeah. That's amazing. I'm very proud of that. Um, it's one of the reasons that the child protective services did not take my son from me because they knew that I was trying to put my life together, that I had an apartment, and um, but I was scared. I was very scared because I was all alone. Mm -hmm. And when I went back to the apartment with him, I didn't know what I was doing at all. I was panicking. And again, when you're dealing with someone who still has a childlike mind, still is not understanding social cues, still very selfish, still not understanding about life and responsibility, it, it, it's not going to turn out well. No. And um, I was still focusing all of my attention on their father and not this little boy that I had given birth to. And so um, I fell down uh, another bad hole. Um, and here I have this tiny little baby and I, I didn't have any money. Mm -hmm. I had no food. And so I did try. I he their father had actually gone to jail the day after our son was born and so I literally was all alone and I I got in I started looking for resources I went to the WIC program I had gave him some formula because I had no idea how to breastfeed or anything like that yeah. my mom was trying to teach me how to stay calm and how to calm him down but that is so hard to do when you have a little bit of mania yeah. which I do I had to um deal with things like that and when you have those feelings you you really can't calm a child down because they can feel everything going on inside of you your anxiety that's or, right yeah. and so I really struggled with that and as a couple of months went on in March of 2012 um, their father basically said you need to come with me now to Arizona uh, we were both running from the law Mm -hmm. at that point um i had actually helped him escape mm -hmm. out of a cop car mm -hmm. so where were we um so i decided to follow him mm -hmm. i decided to leave everything that i was comfortable with my family my friends everybody that loved me and cared about me and i ran off and on a greyhound bus um to arizona knowing that i still had a charge for hindering apprehension for helping him escape and he also had many burglary charges now all the while one thing that I did lose because of his choices because he he tried to run me over with my car while I was pregnant because he stole my car 
because he wanted to get drugs and I was still trying to fight to have somewhat of a normal life. Yeah. And um, because of his decisions, um, my car was actually taken. Um, and so that's what really made it even more hard with the homelessness because now I am pregnant. I am now have no home and for the first time I have no car. Yeah. And now I'm just out there. So um, I, I looked at everything and I said, you know what? I, I guess I have to go with him because yeah. there's nothing else. He's all I have. That's right. And he's your addiction. So you you feel like you need to be with him. So right. that's so you came out to Arizona. Yes. Uh, we lived with his sister initially. Um, I would say we were not doing drugs at this point. We both decided to stop doing crack cocaine. And uh, I would say, well, I'll never forget the day, of course. Um, Things started just becoming really difficult for me because, I, again, I had no money. I didn't have my mother anymore. I was so far away from everybody. I had nothing. And I just wanted him to love me. That's all I wanted. And he just didn't love me. Mm-hmm. And so he basically told me that it was a mistake for me to come here and that he did not want me or his son. And this was June 21st of 2012. And there was a miscommunication, and I had called um, to get a counselor so I could talk to somebody. And apparently I sounded very, very bad on the phone, and I actually spoke with the crisis team, uh, which is kind of funny. That's currently what I do now. What do you do? (laughs) I laugh about this. Uh, And they came out to assess me, and um, apparently I said things that were alarming. And um, they actually called Child Protective Services uh, without me knowing and they showed up and uh, they actually took my son out of my arms with the police and um, he was put in foster care. And I actually went inpatient into a psychiatric hospital. Mm-hmm. Um, I, They made it sound like it was voluntary, but it was definitely involuntary. Um, I was able to uh, show the doctor that I was okay, that it was just environmental and I was upset. And so they did release me mm-hmm. um, the next day. Uh, but again, at this point, I now have lost my son and I was I I don't know if anyone can understand how bad that hurts especially if you are sober and you are feeling everything um, that a mother would feel if their child especially their first child was taken away yeah so um, me and their father he he became very angry because he basically blamed it all on me that it was my fault because I couldn't I couldn't hold my mental status together yeah even though it was him it was environmental doing what he was doing to me and so a couple months later me and him we got an apartment but it was a very very bad side of town and basically our next door neighbor was a meth dealer so things spiraled down Uh, I was trying to do the CPS case and, and do the best I could and Basically, um, I found out that he was smoking again, and then I fell right back into what was going on. And then I started doing the drugs again. We basically were evicted within a month. Wow. And this was where it got even worse because the next option that we had was to live in a hotel on Van Buren. I didn't know anything about Van Buren mm-hmm. when I came here. Um, it didn't take me long to figure out what it was and what really happened out there. So what, how would you describe Van Buren for the listeners who aren't aware? Well, I would say that 
things have changed because again, this was late 2012, early 2013 when I was actually living on the streets. Mm-hmm. Um, there were, it, from 24th Street to Gateway Community College, that, that kind of area right there, there was a lot of prostitution mm-hmm. and a lot of drug activity. I mean, that, that's what really was happening. And we just kind of fell in line. Mm-hmm. And I realized that that was something that was gonna keep us afloat so I, I did what everyone else was doing out there, and uh, I was a prostitute. I had to go through a lot of things out there that a lot of people will never understand. Or experience. Right. And uh, again, a lot of trauma. Mm-hmm. And all the while this is happening, I'm also still trying to fight for my son those two things just don't go together though you you can't successfully show people or a department the state whoever it is that you are a functioning parent and that you actually are willing to to fight for this child when you are living like that Mm -hmm. on the street and so again it's really as if I was choosing their father over my own child so I definitely understand that and I really would never have been able to understand that and not have judgment if I hadn't actually experienced it myself. Mm-hmm. So um, a miracle happened. Uh, I honestly, I know this sounds kind of wild, but he actually went to jail in March of 2013. And because he was physically taken away from me, that's actually what made me move on with my life and not continue to live on the streets. Mm -hmm. See, I was still addicted to him. I was still listening to him. I was still doing what he wanted me to do. So because he couldn't control me anymore because he was in jail, he told me, now you need to go fight for our son. So I did exactly what he asked me to do. Yeah, That's not necessarily what he actually wanted. It was because technically I was his property and he didn't want his property to be damaged. So that's why he didn't want me living on the street anymore. He couldn't control me, and he didn't want anyone else to control me. Mm-hmm. See, I didn't really understand this until just recently. Um, so I actually called Comtrans. They picked me up on 32nd Street in Van Buren, and I actually went into Watkins Family Shelter. I had a really hard time with the transition because I was so used to having my rules mm-hmm. and doing what I wanted to do and staying in the hotels that I wanted to stay in and I could do whatever I wanted to do. And all of a sudden now I'm being put in a, in a, a place where there's rules and you can't do this and you can't do this. And I was angry. Yeah. I actually was angry, but I had to really think about what is my future supposed to look like right now? I don't have their dad anymore. I knew he was gonna be extradited back to Texas. So I, went to the director of Watkins and I asked them, I said, can you help me? I have a little boy that I need to fight for. What can you do? So again, another miracle happened. And within two days, they actually got me transferred to Cass. Yeah. And that was probably the, one of the biggest turning points of, of that time is getting off the streets and actually having case management and, and really starting to focus on my life. And having someone there who cares, someone there who wants to see you succeed is huge. Right. You had someone on your side. Yes, for the first time, because again, I was so independent, I really didn't, I didn't reach out for anyone to help me. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, 
right before I actually went into CAS um, in February, the uh, my CPS case was actually turned into severance and adoption. And those cases are actually impossible to win. Um, that's basically where they are getting ready to adopt the child. Uh, so, uh, and his foster family was willing to adopt. And so I, I pretty much was put in, in almost a unforgiving place of acceptance of I'm gonna have to let him go. Mm -hmm. And this happens a lot in CPS where the parents become so overwhelmed and they get so discouraged because it is such an emotional, painful situation and, and time frame of how long it takes and it just, it's draining. Mm -hmm. And so usually parents sign their rights over. Um, but you I was giving up. I was angry. Yeah. I, I was I was angry at their dad. I was angry because I knew I loved my son. I, I have this very beautiful heart. And I just was like, I, I can't, I can't, I don't care. Like until y'all sign that, that dotted line that he's not mine anymore. And I think I probably would have still fought after that. But um, as soon as I got into Cass uh, a week later, I actually found out I was pregnant with number two. Um, that's Miss Kaylana. And um, she's now five. And I had even more of a reason to fight. Mm -hmm. And so again, I was sober and I actually got sober prior to um, actually finding out I was pregnant. Um, I only took about, I was about three weeks pregnant when I actually found out I was pregnant. So um, that whole time again, he was in jail and I, I worked so hard. I got an apartment through um, the city of Phoenix. They helped me, Cass uh, helped me with all of that everything they asked me to do I did it mm -hmm. I had like a whole list of stuff to do and I got my Arizona ID I got my birth certificate I got literally everything they asked me to get and I stayed with the case manager the whole time and a mere another miracle <laughs> happened uh literally two days before my daughter Kaylana was born and the CPS attorney my attorney actually called me and told me that they are changing I get so emotional. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, that they were changing the CPS case to reunification, <laughs> which like never happens. Yeah. So uh, that let me know that they were going to let me keep my daughter mm -hmm. when she was born. And um, so that was like the biggest thing that had ever happened. And I couldn't believe that this was happening to me. So um, she was born on. December 13th, 2013, on her due date at 12.13 p.m. <laughs> on Friday the 13th. <laughs> um, I couldn't even believe that when the doctors told me, but um, she, uh, she, is, she is a very, very special little girl. And she actually was kind of like my first because I didn't even know what I was doing with Cardell. And I, I didn't even really even get to raise him for the first part. So I had this little baby, but I was more stable and I was more focused and mm -hmm. I, I knew what I wanted for my life. So I, I really did a great job with Kaylana and she was my little chubby baby and I just did everything I could and I actually bonded with her and I loved her. Mm -hmm. And all the while CPS is involved, but moving forward um, in June of 2014, I actually gained full custody of my son. <laughs> So, but it was a lot though, because basically I had one kid and then all of a sudden now I have two. Yeah. It was like I had twins and I'm like, oh my gosh, I, what am I going to do? Like I barely just learned how to take care of one and now all of a sudden I have two. So it was, it was hard. It was really hard. But 
Um, their father, he got out of prison and I allowed him back in. That was probably not the best choice because I actually, my CPS case closed and I actually relapsed again. And now I have two babies and now I'm relapsing. And that's another part of my life where I have to accept that I did not make the best choices, but I still tried to hold my family together. Not him, but my two children and me. I tried to keep food in the house. I tried to, to still keep things functioning and their father just became worse and worse and to the point where like he was bringing homeless people in our house. Like it was too much. And I was like, I can't do this anymore. And so um, in April, it was the last week of March actually, 2015. And I had reached out to uh, the city of Phoenix again. Uh, and I'm, I'm a family at this point. So I tried to find emergency housing for us. And I don't know, another miracle happened and I actually was able to bypass the emergency shelter system and they actually got me in to save the family, which is a domestic violence shelter. Um, and so I, I, I took it and it was the first time that I had actually left their father on my own. Wow. And so that was a really, really big thing. Um, and of course, within those three months, I found out I was pregnant again. <laughs> Third time's the charm. I don't know what's happening with all these babies. <laughs> um, and uh, I, I was not excited about it. I, I was like, oh, my God, again? Uh, I don't know. What, what am I doing? And I'm, it's not like I'm having a lot of support here. Um, my mom was still trying to, to help out here and there. But, again, she was so far away in Texas. But um, my sobriety date of four years is actually coming up next week. Congratulations. <laughs> That's amazing. On April 4th of 2015 was the last day that I actually used um, drugs mm -hmm. and so I'm very excited for my four years uh, coming up here uh, next week and that was actually when I moved into the domestic violence shelter and um, I gave birth to Cadence who is now three um, beautiful healthy little girl and um, the really really cool part is that was actually the last time that I was homeless. Mm -hmm. I graduated from the program in January of 2016. Um, my mother, she did see that I was trying. She, she saw that I have three children now and I'm trying. And so I, um, I asked for her help and I said, mom, please, can you, can you just find me an apartment in a nice neighborhood? Cause I didn't want to be in a bad neighborhood anymore. And she did. We found a beautiful apartment in Ahwatukee, and I actually still live in that apartment um, to this day. Um, there's some things that did occur last year um, where their father did not like that I was trying to push him out of my life mm -hmm. because of his behaviors, because he was not getting better, because he was just all around not a good person and it took me so long to figure that out yeah and um he actually did some really not great things to me and the kiddos and i had to get an order of protection and um i still stayed in the same area but i i had to separate myself yeah. um from that actual location because i i couldn't allow him to know where we were anymore and that was that was like the biggest step ever. I, I didn't think I could do that. Yeah, I didn't think I could say goodbye to him. I I was like so attached to this man. Like he really truly was my addiction. That was the thing that I literally withdrew from. I would emotionally break when 
I didn't have him around or I didn't feel like he loved me. And it took almost nine years to break that feeling Mm -hmm. and that addiction. And that I think is probably the biggest miracle out of everything. Because again, I see what domestic violence does to people, male, female, it doesn't matter. And it it can rip you alive Mm -hmm. and for your entire life too. Like some people will never get out of it. Some people are just so numb to it. And, and it can literally change the course of everything that could happen in your life and, and really, you know, put you not only in a bad place mentally, with your self-esteem, with not even knowing who you are anymore, mm-hmm. but also it could kill you. Yeah. A lot of domestic violence ends in death, and that could have easily happened to me. And so um, I am so proud to say that I am a single mother <laughs> of three beautiful children, Cardell, Kaylana, and Cadence, age seven, age five, and age three. Mm-hmm. Cardell is amazing. He is very, very smart, and he is funny, and he is such a beautiful character, just like me, <laughs> and he does sports. He plays basketball, football, and he's literally like the best <laughs> I don't know what it is I think he was just giving like amazing genes but I grew up as an athlete their father was an athlete too and um he uh he just he just gets it and I and I try to do everything I can to keep my kids like in extracurricular activities I work so hard to be able to pay for it um, my daughter Kaylana she is in gymnastics tumbling and cheerleading <laughs> and she she absolutely loves it she is a serious princess (laughs) and she she really it it gives her self-confidence it gives her you know feeling good about herself and she has improved dramatically in the last six months she couldn't even do a cartwheel and she can do a cartwheel she can do a handstand she can do all of these things that she couldn't do before and so i promised myself that i would protect them that i would put them in the best place possible Um, with their self-esteem and protect them from bad men and abuse and having them to watch their mom be hurt and all of those things I I I won't allow that and so I know I struggle doing this all by myself it is so hard and I put so much effort into my job and I am working so much and it really takes a lot out of you um, being on an, an at crisis team but I I do it because I want to help people and I love to learn and I love to be put in put in challenging situations so if I am put in another situation I can say you know what I actually had this situation before I know how to handle this appropriately Mm -hmm. Um, I mean in my future I really do either I'm going to be a motivational speaker I'm going to be an advocate I'm going to be um, something to where I can help a large amount of people and that's one of the reasons why I'm doing this is to get out there and to let people know that there is a better life there is a success there if you just work hard and um, and you know prove that you can you can be a better person it just it just takes a lot of behavioral changes and belief and I guess you can call it a cliche but you know the message of hope yeah we we use that a lot in um in behavioral health but i i've dealt i've dealt with the mental illness i've dealt with the the substance abuse i've dealt with having people judge me and stereotype me and and put a stigma on me and say that i was never going to make it or i was never going to be good enough i was never going to be a good mother 
And here I have done all of that. And I have proved everybody that I can actually be better than what everyone thought I was ever going to be. Yeah, and I know you're going to use your power to empower. I think that you have no idea how special it's been to have you as our first guest. And you just are so inspiring. And I'm so grateful that you took the time to sit down with me today. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you. Have a great one. All right, you too. Wow. Did I kick ass? Oh yeah. Was that good? That Did was I say? Awesome. I mean, I, I 